you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. We'll use that as a launching place for our study this morning, Galatians chapter 5. While you're turning there, let me welcome our guests. We do have a number of people visiting with us today. I have met several of you. Some are traveling. You've chosen to stop and uh, worship with us at West Main, and we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do that and to make worship a priority. I've already met others that are living in the community and have come to be with us today on this Lord's Day, and we thank you so much for coming. We meet today, as Ben suggested, in his table talk, to remember the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we come to celebrate his resurrection. And as Ben suggested, we do this here at West Main in each and every Lord's Day. And we would certainly like to invite you to come back and be with us again. Come back next Sunday as we come to worship God and to think about who Jesus is and what he means to our life. The slide you see behind me is our theme here for our church family at West Main, Becoming Like Christ. And it's to that end that we are focusing each and every month on a specific virtue that Christ had that we might become like him in that particular area. And so the first Sunday of each month, we've chosen to bring a lesson to think about that virtue. So today will be no different. We'll think about a particular virtue that I think will fit in very well with our thoughts today and our focus today to seek to be like Christ. These virtues are taken from two or three different texts. And the first list of these that we're going through is from Galatians chapter 5, what is sometimes referred to as the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. In verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, Paul said to walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would. And so we all have that great challenge between the flesh and the spirit. That, that dichotomy there that occurs almost daily, I think, for most of us. The lust are gone, the challenge are gone, and then the desire to want to be right with God. The flesh versus the spirit. It goes on in this text, we won't read all of these, these, these works of the flesh that we ought not to engage in. But then in verse 22, he says this, But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he says that if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another." And so this idea here is that if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And so if we're going to seek to become like Christ, then let us walk in these various virtues. And so this morning, we want us to think about patience, learning long-suffering like Jesus. Now, depending on the English rendering you have, you might have seen the word long-suffering or you might have seen the word patience. Either one is good because they speak to the same thing as we will see. I want to briefly look at this word and notice what it means. And then I want to spend a little time in talking about how Jesus is our example of patience. 
And then just notice briefly why it seems like patience is so difficult for so many of us. And then I want to close and give you six practical suggestions that will help you develop more patience. What do we mean by the word patience? Well, it is long-suffering, as one English translation suggests. It has the idea, literally, Thayer says in his Greek lexicon, of being long-tempered. Now, isn't that a contrast? What do we usually say about a person? Well, he's got a short temper. Or we say he's got a short fuse. You need to be careful. You set him off. Well, patience is just the opposite of having a short fuse. It is being long-tempered. You don't hear that very, boy, I tell you, that fellow sure is long-tempered. We don't, we don't say that, but it has the idea of patience or the word forbearance. It has the idea of forbearance or restraint. It is a slowness in avenging wrongs. Long-suffering, Thayer says, is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation, which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. It is the opposite of anger and is associated with mercy. And, of course, the word, as we'll see later, is used of God a number of times. And so patience, ladies and gentlemen, is that quality to accept delay or disappointment graciously. Patience is a powerful attribute that enables a man or a woman to remain steadfast under strain and pressure and continue pressing on. Patience is that calm endurance based upon the knowledge that God is in control. And so that's what we're talking about as we discuss the virtue of patience. I suggest, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus is our perfect example when it comes to patience. And as I was spending my wife and I a little time in the Smokies this week and a time to relax and working on this sermon and just thinking about it, and all of a sudden, kind of like a lightning bolt came to me, that not only do we see the patience of Jesus in the flesh as a man here upon this earth, it occurred to me that that is a divine quality of the God family that even goes back to the very beginning. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, we know from Ephesians chapter 1 that Christ's coming was predetermined from the foundation of the world. And the Paul said that Christ came in the fullness of time. Now, the Bible doesn't say how old the earth is. I don't know how old it is. I personally tend to take a view that it's a young earth, but I might be wrong about that, that maybe the earth is somewhere six to 10,000 years old. That's a long time, isn't it, for most of us? But whatever it is, even if you think it's 20 billion years old, regardless of that, the Bible says that God predetermined Christ would come before he created the world. And in the fullness of time, Christ came. Now, that's patience, isn't it? You know, I think when our kids were young and you're going to promise them they're going to do something, And when are we going to do that? When are we going to Disney World, Daddy? When are we going to take that trip, Mommy? How long will it be to my birthday? When are we going to have that party? And we're not very patient sometimes as young people and even older people. that Think about the father waiting to send the son for 6,000 years, 10,000 years, or whatever. That's patience, isn't it? When the time was right, Christ came into the world. God waited Christ waited, 
and then Christ came, and then Jesus is born. But he's born what? A little baby. He wasn't born full grown. He was born just like any little baby today in that sense. So I know it was a virgin birth. But from the standpoint of a baby and growing into adolescence and finally manhood, we see Jesus growing up. After his birth, we see him again at age 12 in the temple. Is he ready now to begin his ministry? Well, he is disputing with the doctors of the law. He seems to hold his own with them at age 12. But no, the time is not yet. He had to wait 18 more years before he began his ministry till age 30. You think about the patience. What was Jesus doing in the carpenter shop, working there, turning out tables and chairs and and uh, yoke for oxen and other kinds of things they would have made in that time in the carpenter shop. That was what he was doing, patiently waiting the time when he would begin his ministry at age 30. And then what happened? In John chapter 1, verse 11, it says that he came into his own, and his own received him not. I mean, Jesus had been prophesied for 1,500 years. The Jewish people should have been ready for Christ to come into the world. It should have been obvious. John, the forerunner, pointed and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Every prophecy pointed to the man Jesus as the fulfillment of the Christ. But he came into his own, his own received him not. What was Jesus' attitude? One of patience with the people. As he continued his ministry. And then John chapter 7 and verse 5 tells us that even his own brothers in the flesh did not believe him. Mary was a virgin, of course, as Jesus was conceived and born. But by Joseph, she had other children. You might call them half brothers, I suppose. But these brothers that grew up with him in that same household. And you would think they would look at Jesus, and as he began his ministry, they, they would believe if anybody's going to believe, it'd be his own family, right? Your family's going to be there for you, right? They didn't believe. And yet, Jesus patiently goes on with his ministry. And then you consider the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the ones that knew the law, that should have understood who he was, but they didn't. In fact, they accused him of breaking the law. They charged him of guilt by association with sinners. They even suggested that he was of illegitimate parentage. They ascribed his miracles from as, as power that came from the devil. They tried to trick him. They tried to trap him. They tried to embarrass him. And yet when you read the life of Christ in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John as we did this last quarter in our, in our Bible study in the adult class, what do we see about Jesus? We see his answers and his attitude and his actions are characterized by patience, by long-suffering, by an understanding where the people are coming from. But then look at the apostles. Now, if there's anybody that should understand, it ought to be the apostles. For three and a half years, they walked with him. They watched. They listened. They were mentored by him. And yet, what do we see? We see their weaknesses. We see their doubt. We see their lack of insight. We see their lack of understanding. We see times where Jesus had to correct them and rebuke them and challenge them, but he never lost patience. And finally... They turned, the religious leaders did, the people against Jesus. 
He is betrayed. He is arrested. He is denied. He is tried illegally. He is mocked. He is beaten. He is bruised. And his body is nailed to an old rugged cross. And even there hanging on that cross, we see his long-suffering, don't we? His patience with a thief that would ask for salvation for his mother that was at the foot of the cross and for others. And Jesus would say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You want to look at an example of patience under pressure, of long-suffering when it's hard? Look at Jesus. Jesus is our perfect And so why is patience so difficult? Well, let me suggest four or five things. One, it goes against human nature. I mean, we we are born impatient, aren't we? I mean, you think about it. We've we've got some little grandbabies now, and, of course, the boys are getting older. But these little girls, they're not quite talking yet. They're babbling and gurgling and making sounds. And, of course, their parents, they'll, they'll send us a video and say, look, she talked. And I say to Norma, what did she say? And Norma said, well, I'm not sure. But anyway, they're little babies. You know what they do when they're wet? They cry. You know what they do when they're hungry? They cry. The little babies don't say, well, it's probably inconvenient for mommy to feed me right now. I don't want to bother daddy. He's on his cell phone. They don't care about that. They are impatient. And that's just the way it is. And even as kids get a little bit older, I'm I'm reminded of the mother and the four-year-old that were traveling somewhere. And he kept asking the question like kids would do, Mommy, are we there yet? Mommy, are we there yet? Mommy, are we here? She finally got tired of that. And she said, I don't want to hear that again. Or I'm going to stop, and I'm going to make you wish you hadn't asked that question. Now, you don't ask me that anymore. He said, we've got 90 miles to go. A hush. Well, that shut him up for a while. Finally, after a long time of silence, he timidly said, Mommy, will I still be four when we get there? Now, that's kids, isn't it? That's just, that's just we're, we're born that way. It goes against human nature. And then it's contrary to our culture, isn't it? We live on a fast track. We live in a rat race. We live in a world of fast foods and, and quick print and one-hour photos and 10-minute and express lunch. I saw a place, Ben, we got to go, that said if you don't get your lunch in 15 minutes, it's free. I'd like to check that out. Maybe we can get a free lunch out of that. That would be a good thing. I mean, we like, we like things quick. We like them fast. Uh, quick oil changes, microwaves, all of that. I read about a church in Florida that is now advertising 22-minute services. The sermon is only eight minutes. Don't get your hopes up. That ain't happening here, folks. All right? I'm telling you. But that's the world that we live in. And then sometimes we look at impatience as some kind of a virtue. I've heard people say, well, I'm impatient, but I get things done. And so we look at it as some kind of a virtue. The type A personality, the choleric that is charging ahead and successful, and he's getting it done. Say, watch out for him. Don't get in his way. He didn't have a lot of patience. You know, he he doesn't suffer fools well. I mean, all that sort of thing. And we almost then tend to think it's some kind of a virtue. And then let me suggest that the weeds of pride and selfishness and anger choke out the fruit of patience. Have you noticed how 
crass and coarse our culture is becoming today? How vulgar it's become, how impatient, how angry. We seem to be an angry people today in our nation. We talk about road rage and work rage and domestic abuse and school shootings and, and, and sometimes over some trivial kind of a thing that sets someone off. And anger and patience go together and people seek revenge. It's, it's a work of the flesh and it's outburst of wrath and contentions and selfish ambition. And when these things are in our lives... It's impossible to develop the root of patience. Now, I, I thought of one more as I got inside myself a little bit and it went too hard to do. And I, I, will, I will be transparent with you and say that's something I've had to fight through the years of being a more patient person. And Norman, I had a conversation today when we was in Gatlinburg and she was shopping at the outlets. And I felt I was so patient. Okay. And I was feeling so good about my patience. She didn't think I was quite as patient as I thought I was through all of that. And then something happens, you know, in your life where a bunch of things just hit you. You know what I mean? Bang, 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 bang. One after another, and you kind of lose your cool. You know what I think that is a little bit? I think it's the devil. The devil knows our weakness. The devil, the devil knows what we're susceptible to. Now, if you're a real phlegmatic person, you probably don't let anything bother you because your, your, your temperament is of such a nature that patience is not a problem for you. That for some of us, maybe it's a little bit more of a problem. The devil knows that. And so the devil's going to test us and try us and to try to get us to lose patience and, and to become impatient. And so we got to watch out. Well, We've got all of that. We don't take any more time on that because we, most of us here, maybe not all of us, but most of us at one time or another find ourselves being impatient and we know it's difficult. Now, how am I going to become more like Christ? Now, I would just add this caveat, ladies and gentlemen, you're never going to be sinless. But we can work to become more like Christ and become more patient. How do we do that? Let me suggest six things. One, I need to abide in Christ. In John chapter 15, and in verse 5, Jesus used this analogy. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If any man abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And then he said that apart from me, you can do nothing. And so if we use this analogy, that Christ is the vine, and I'm the branch off of the vine, and I must stay connected to the vine that if I'm to receive nurture and nourishment, if I'm to produce anything, i got to remain, i got to abide in Christ. i gotta, I got to stay connected to Christ if I'm going to produce the fruit of the Spirit that we read about a while ago, which one is patience. What happens is we become disconnected from Christ if we're not careful. And that can happen in a lot of ways. But when we become disconnected from Christ, how do we expect to bear fruit? How do we expect to be better? How do we expect to develop love and joy and peace and patience or any other fruit of the Spirit if we're not connected to the vine where we can find the nourishment to receive that? And so I must abide in Christ. Secondly, I need to grow in love. These go hand in glove. As I grow in love, 
then I develop patience. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 said love, and there's a typo, is patient. Not love impatient, but love is patient. Love is patient. And so the very nature of agape love, of the kind of love that seeks the best interest and the welfare of another individual is going to be patient. It is going to be long-suffering. Unless we love those who have wronged us, there will not be a sufficient motivation to be able to bear with them. And so the active goodwill is fundamental in being slow to avenge a wrong. Not only that, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, we are commanded to abound in love. Paul said, and may the Lord make you to increase and to abound in love to one another and to all just as we also do to you. And so we work on our love. That was the first thing we talked about in January, wasn't it? And so if we're working on our love, and we think about growing in love and abounding in love and being a more loving person and having the kind of love of 1 Corinthians 13, then that's going to help us develop patience. And then thirdly, we can pray for patience. You know, James says in James 1, if you lack wisdom, to pray for wisdom. Well, how about praying for patience? I'm reminded of the passage in Colossians chapter 1. Where the Apostle Paul, as Paul often does, he prays for the people that he's writing to. And in Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 9, he said, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful, there's our idea of being fruitful again, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And now here it is in verse 11. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. Paul prayed for that. He prayed for these people, these Colossian brethren, for their longsuffering and for their patience. How about me praying for that, for me? For you and you for me and for one another. I think that'd be a good thing. I think that would help us to develop patience. Now, we don't want to be like the fella that heard that and he said, Lord, give me patience. And he paused a second. He said, and give it to me right now. You knew that was coming, didn't you? Well, that's, that's the way we are sometimes. It takes a little while. Let me give you a fourth thing that will help us. How about just learning to slow down? You know, it's kind of ironic that a company that advertised for years you need a break today was a fast food restaurant. I mean, you're in and out, right? You need a break. Well, Jehovah set an example in the very beginning when he created the world. He took a break on the seventh day. God rested. Think about that for a second. But then if you go back to the life of Christ, how many times do we see Jesus in the life of Christ Get away from the crowds and the press and the throngs of the people and the hectic schedule. And I did something biblical this week. Like Jesus, I went to the mountains. All right? That's a good biblical thing, evidently. Jesus, we see Jesus in the mountains. We see Jesus in the seashore. We see Jesus as the crowd pressed him to get out into a boat and go over to the other side. We see Jesus in the desolate, desert, wilderness place. And oftentimes, they're meditating and praying to the Father. We need to learn to slow down a little bit. Take a breath. 
get away. I mean, disengage. You know, Norma did say to me, she said, this is a working vacation, isn't it? I said, yes, because I preached twice last Sunday at two different congregations and wrote my blog every day uh, early in the morning. So, yes, it was a working vacation. But, you know, one thing that was kind of nice, I couldn't get any cell phone coverage up on the mountain where I was. So if you tried to call me, I, you know, would come down a the mountain, then a ding, ding, you know. But I, could, I couldn't get any. Now, it's funny, I had internet up there, all right, which is kind of weird. But it was kind of nice from that standpoint, not taking any calls or looking at my cell phone every few minutes. And, and that sort of thing. Learn to slow down a little bit. And then <clears throat> overlook the little frustrations of life. Have you seen the little book uh, by Richard Carlson entitled Don't Sweat the Small Stuff? I came across this. I was going through some books, and I'm going to discard before we move. But I think I'll keep that one. That's a pretty good little book. Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And then he subtitles it, and it's all small stuff. Well, I may not agree totally with the subtitle to that, but we need to be careful not sweating the small stuff. Carlson says in the book, the quality of patience goes a long way toward creating a more peaceful and loving self. Life is filled with frustrations. Life is filled with problems, and some of them are not that big a deal in the big picture of things. But what does Jesus say in the mountain message in Matthew 6? Four times he says, don't worry. Don't worry about life. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry. That's a good admonition for us, isn't it? Overlook the little frustrations of life. And then number six, learn to wait on the Lord. I love the verse in Psalm 27 and 14. The psalmist said, wait on the Lord. And be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And that's what we all have to learn to do. In his time, we sometimes sing the song, Kevin, in his time. Not our time, not on our calendar or our schedule, but in his time that we learn to wait on well, those six things, if you'll just work at them a little bit every day, will help you in developing the fruit of the Spirit to become more like Christ, which is patience. Now, I've got one other thought that I want to wrap this lesson up with, and that's this. As I said, never, none of us will ever be sinless to the point like Jesus Christ. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23, there's none righteous, no, not one. But I can look at the divine family, and I can see the patience of God. And it occurred to me working on this lesson, when I lose patience with other people, or my wife, or brethren, or my car, or the traffic on 35, or some other such thing that gets us upset, you see, and we lose patience, I need to remember how patient God is with me. And I thought of this passage in 2 Peter chapter 3 that I want to close with and give everyone here just a little thought as we leave our worship this morning. He said in verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And then he says this in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Then you have this, therefore, based on this, based on the Lord's coming again, based on this world is going to come to an end of being burned up, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner or person ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, let us look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. As we come together this morning in worship and as we leave to go out to whatever we have planned this afternoon and this evening and tomorrow and this week, and we think about our lives and maybe the impatience sometimes, I want you to remember as you leave here, God's patient with you. Can you look in your life this morning and see things that you're not real proud of? Shortcomings, mistakes, sins, flaws, foibles, weaknesses. We all can, can't we? And yet we're here this morning, aren't we? We're alive. We're in this room. We're here before God to be able to worship God and to hear the Word of God and to think about divine things. When you look how corrupt and evil and wicked this world is, if it was me, I think it had been destroyed a long time ago. How about you? You wonder, how long will the patience of God wait before he says, I've had enough, I'm done with it. And the Lord comes again. And it's all burned up. And it's over. There, there, there's no more chance to be right with God. There's no more chance to serve God, to be a Christian, to be faithful, to put first things first. It, it's over. But right now, God's long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish. That what? All should come to repentance. So my closing thought and message to you on this idea of patience you and I, ladies and gentlemen, serve a patient God. We are, we are before a patient God. Whether you serve him or not, he's patient. He's waiting. And he's calling you to repentance. I wonder as we close this morning, and a song has been prepared. I think it's only a step. It is only a step to make a decision to repent of your sins. Say, Lord, I come before you as a sinner, unworthy, unclean, lost, but in need of your saving grace. And Jesus said, if you believe on me, if you believe on me, you can be saved. If you don't, you're dying your sins. He said, I tell you, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. He said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father is in heaven. Like the Ethiopian treasurer said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Not just a good man, not a great rabbi, not a moral reformer, but the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's the plan. It's simple and it's unelaborated. It's easy to understand. 
And by God's love and grace and mercy, he extends to you and I the ability to make our lives right with him and to covenant covenant relationship with him, to be washed by the blood of Jesus, to be inducted into his family, and to begin life again. And these challenges that we face, these weaknesses, that God will help us, and Christ will sustain us, and Christ will strengthen us as we seek to grow to mature. And so this morning, one more time, we extend the Lord's invitation. One more time, we come on our Lord's Day, and we celebrate who He is and what He's done. And the patience of God continues that it will end one day. Don't wait too long to get right with God. Come now. Obey Him. Serve Him. All together we stand and we sing.